0: Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. Today, we have something a little different. We're bringing you part one of a two-part sponsored podcast series discussing insulin delivery for patients with diabetes. Next week, we will bring you part two and the conclusion of the conversation. Welcome to the AGMC podcast, Advancements in Automated Insulin Delivery, I'm Mary Caffrey, Associate Editorial Director for the American Journal of Managed Care. In this first of two segments, we will discuss the evolution of diabetes care technology and standards for automated insulin delivery, as well as important new developments that we will see in 2021, including the Omnipod 5. Joining me is Dr. Greg Ferlenza, a pediatric endocrinologist at the Barbara Davis Center at the University of Colorado. In this segment, Dr. Frohlenza will discuss the pre-pivotal data. Today's podcast is brought to you by Insulin. Welcome, Dr. Forlenza.
1: Hello, it's great to be here.
0: Dr. Frohlenza, can you tell our listeners about your background in diabetes care and your current research interests?
1: Yes, so I do work with children with type 1 diabetes And my research is based on the role of technology to improve care for children and young adults with type 1 diabetes. And the subject I've been interested in since the start of my training is the role of hybrid closed loop and automation to make care easier. And so I've been fortunate to get to work on the Medtronic 670G and 780G pivotal trials, the tandem basal IQ and control IQ pivotal trials, as well as the Insulet OP5 developmental and pivotal trials, and even the beta-bionics pivotal trials, as well as some automated decision support systems and a variety of other systems. So it's a really exciting time for the field and a very cool time for our patients.
0: Oh, thank you. The last few years have brought major advances in automated insulin delivery. Even consumers who don't know much about diabetes have probably seen advertisements for continuous glucose monitors or automated insulin pumps. So can you tell us about how insulin delivery has evolved over just in the last few years?
1: Yeah, so I think it's been very, very dramatic. I always tell my uh, trainees that it's the only thing I do, and it can sometimes be hard to keep up with. And people that don't look at the literature daily, you know, oftentimes fall very far behind. And so we still have a lot of patients who are u- using injections for insulin therapy. But the, one of the biggest changes has been that they're now starting to use a lot more CGM and seeing significant benefits with CGM along with um, injections. And the field of those using insulin pumps has also changed dramatically as we've moved in the last few years from what's called sensor augmented pump therapy, where people are looking at their own sensor values and adjusting their insulin dosing from their pump based on their sensor value to automated delivery, where the system is actually starting to take the human out of the loop and taking care of those minute-by-minute minute dosing adjustments by itself, and so this has been a phenomenal transition, both in terms of the burden that people feel daily about their diabetes care, but also the level of control that they're achieving. Clinically, we're seeing people's time and range move from you know the fifty percent range to the sixty to the seventy, and even the eighty percent range with these systems, and that's three, four hours a day more that people are spending time in range, and they're doing that with less work. And so that's what's been uh, really, really exciting, is that we're seeing the collection of our patients just continue to move up the scale in terms of even our poorest performing patients are doing as well as our best performing patients were five, 10 years ago, because the technology is making it easier for them to do so.
0: So tell me about the, the, the technology itself. We, we're seeing different kinds of pumps also in terms of some of the features of the pumps that are taking them from, say, the tethered pump to the tubeless pump.
1: Yeah, so uh, tethered pumps would be in term we traditionally use for the um, pump that has an infusion site and uh, a t- cannula and then is worn kind of on the belt or kept in the pocket and those pumps can be detached, but for a lot of patients, especially those who are young children, very active, athletic people, um, they don't like the idea of something quote, dangling from their body. And so they like to have the option of an on-body pump, uh, which we call a patch pump. Um, currently, the popular one, of course, is the um, Omnipod pump. And therefore, they're able to kind of go wherever and do whatever without worrying about something hanging on their body, potentially getting snagged on a doorframe or uh, a door handle or something like that. And so it just provides kind of an additional layer of normalization to uh, use of the technology because it's just on your body and you don't have to um, you know worry about the, the tubing and it, it's a great option for a lot of people and just again kind of decreases that burden increases that normalcy and decreases a little bit of the visibility which are all very big factors in people being happy with the technology which is a huge factor in them using it successfully
0: right. Okay. So we're hearing more about the term AID. And how do the American Diabetes Association standards of care affect AID?
1: So that's a great question. So there's a lot of different terms we've used for this technology. The original term was artificial pancreas systems, which was a good engineering term, but it kind of led a lot of people to think that this was something that was implanted, not just a sub-Q, sub-Q system. Uh, AID is automated insulin delivery. And it's basically any system where the pump is listening to the CGM, and using some form of basically autopilot to adjust insulin delivery. I worked with a lot of the early designers of these technologies And they came from a lot of other fields. The guy who taught me about it used to program heat-seeking missiles. Um, Another guy who taught me about it is designing self-driving cars for Toyota. And someone else who taught me a lot about it uh, designed the systems that keep chemical plants from exploding. And so we're taking these ideas that are used in all other areas of our lives and we're applying them to diabetes. And so I think that's a really important point is that you rely on control systems every day to keep you safe. You just don't realize. And this is another case where we're trying to bring that technology there. What it's doing in terms of helping with the ADA standards is it's transitioning the percentage of people who are able to meet targets to a much higher percentage and we're looking at this in now secondary and real world analysis of pivotal trial data and real world implementation data so a lot of people are going to be familiar with the data from the type 1 diabetes exchange which showed that with conventional therapy even three to five years ago only about 20% of people were meeting ADA targets for hemoglobin A1C and revised ADA targets for time and range. With this technology, what we're generally seeing is that moving up to about 50%. So now that's a that's a massive difference. Like when I'm in clinic, I can feel that on a daily basis, that it's not just like, one or two patients a day that are actually meeting targets. It's half or more of my patients that I'm seeing on a daily basis who are meeting targets for hemoglobin A1C, meeting targets for time and range, because just like you know having a self-driving car makes it easier for you to drive your car safely, having a self-driving diabetes system makes it easier for you to drive your diabetes safely. And so the percentage of people that are able to do that continues to increase because the tools are making it so that it's less work, less burden, and less effort required to do that. And as a result of that, I very strongly believe, and we're conducting studies now, that we're going to see people having less and less and less complications, which we know is the end result of having better control. And so if you're doubling the percentage of people who are meeting goals for time and range you're effectively having the percentage of people or at least reducing by a third the percentage of people who are going to be having major complications and that's going to continue to get better as we get to second and third generation systems and just seeing more and more people meeting goals and having less risk of long-term complications and that makes a tremendous benefit to the families when you tell them that in clinic and you say you know your seven-year-old is meeting goals and we don't think that she's ever going to have complications as a result of diabetes that's what they lose sleep about at night so it makes a difference in terms of payments and it makes a difference in terms of quality of life but that's why i love technology is because we can we can achieve both
0: so what what kind of impact does this have on say the care team and, and for care coordination and and not just for the patient and the family, but also on everyone involved in the care for the person living with diabetes?
1: So that's a, that's a great question. has a lot of impacts, actually. Um, we still have to spend a fair amount of time working with the systems and optimizing success, um, but a lot, it changes the conversation. It changes the conversation from, you know, how can we keep you from failing? And that very negative visit that a lot of people with established diabetes remember having. Um, to how can we continue to optimize your success? And that makes patients more likely to engage with care because they don't feel like every time they come into clinic, they're gonna be getting that failing report card. They're gonna be getting a good report card and just be discussing about learning the next thing. Um, The systems being uh, perpetually in the cloud, which we're starting to see with more and more systems and we're definitely gonna be seeing with OP5 um, enables us to have much easier access to the data so we can spend less time helping a patient tune their system. A patient will just email us or call us and say, my daughter has just started soccer practice for two weeks. Let's make sure she's not having lows. I can just log into the server. I can see all the CGM data. I can see all the insulin delivery data. I can see the pump settings. And I can say, let's change this basal rate here. Let's change this carb ratio there. The parent can incorporate the change and I can see that they've incorporated it. And so it just makes those interactions a lot easier, a lot less time consuming, and also a lot more fulfilling. So again, it's a great situation where technology can just give us a positive and a positive and help make it better for everyone, more successful and easier.
0: So what's coming in 2021 that's new and exciting? Can you talk about the developments in AID that are that are coming in the, in the next year and what the impact will be?
1: Yeah, so there's um, a lot of uh, good developments that are coming in the next year. Um, The big one that obviously I'm very excited about is the um, Insulet um, OP5 system. Um, This is a system that I've been working on developing for five years, all the way from the first hospital studies we did where we had to check finger sticks constantly to now the at-home studies where people have been using the system safely and successfully at home for over six months, some of them up to 12 months now. And so what's really cool about this system is that it's the first all-on-body system. And so the um, hybrid closed-loop algorithm, that self-driving car idea, actually lives on the disposable pod. And that is a big advancement because early on we thought that we're going to have to live on a cell phone and you'd have to always have a cell phone in range. But with this system, uh, patients just wear the, um, the CGM, they just wear the pod. This CGM communicates directly with the pod and the system can operate in hybrid closed loop mode, changing insulin delivery every five minutes based on your blood sugar values, just all on your body. And the cell phone is still used to start the system, check the CGM value when you wanna check it and to bolus for insulin. Um, but if you go for a jog and you leave your cell phone in your gym bag or you're out on the court playing basketball and your cell phone's in your locker room, the system's still automating. And this is the first system to be able to do that, just providing that kind of next layer of features for people that weren't happy with the previous um, offers of features. And that additional peace of mind that no matter what's going on, the system is automating. We're also continuing to do work with CGMs, getting them smaller, all disposable and lasting longer. And so that's a really big feature also is the the growth of the use of CGMs and the ease and decreased cost of the CGMs, which are going to always be the key element of these systems, is requiring that continuous sensing of data. Nick Jonas obviously showing off his uh, six-pack at the CGM during the Super Bowl, I think was a really cool moment because it helps normalize that technology for kids and saying, you know, if cool fit Nick Jonas can do this during the Super Bowl, I can do it too. So I was very happy to see that.
0: Yeah. So speaking about that, let's let's talk some more about like the individual features of the Omnipod 5, such as the, the on-target algorithm and hyperprotect and the informed bolus calculator. What are some of the individual features and, and what can they do?
1: Yeah. So all the systems are a, a little bit different. Um, and the way that we have worked on designing OP5 is different from the way we worked on designing Control IQ and 670 and 780G. Um, and that creates a little bit of a challenge for clinicians in terms of you know, learning each uh, system. As for OP5, the um, algorithm that we're using is now called On Target. People have heard me speak before, I used to call it Horizon, but the new name for it is, um, is On Target. And this is an algorithm that very much favors simplicity, which I think is going to be good for most patients. The algorithm is continually updating, adjusting insul- basal insulin delivery, so background insulin delivery, every five minutes in real time. And with every pod change, it's continuing to adapt to the user to become a little bit more personalized and updating its personalization with, um, with every uh, pod change. So roughly every three days. And what we saw in the trials was that within about two or three pod changes, so within about a week, week and a half, The system dials in very, very well and just sort of smooths out background insulin delivery. And so for a lot of very engaged patients, they've read stuff about doing fasting challenges where they have to not eat anything for 24 hours to figure out their exact basal insulin dosing and this kind of stuff. And I had a few families in my study where they did that previously and they're Number one favorite thing about doing the study was they didn't have to do fasting challenges anymore because the system was just adapting with time, and so they were um, they were very happy with with that feature, and it's been very successful, especially overnight. Um, that's where we really see that the system just dialing in the basal insulin delivery overnight results in people very very infrequently needing to look at what their values are overnight. Uh, patients and parents describe being able to sleep overnight for the first time without waking up since diagnosis and just knowing that they're going to wake up at the normal value. And that's the other thing we hear a lot is that I just wake up and my blood sugar is normal every morning. I start each day fresh. I don't have to chase my tail and treat a high, treat a low. No matter what was going on the previous day, every day starts out fresh. Um, the informed um, uh, bolus calculator um, allows for a little bit of that adaption that uh, some of us actually wrote about in the um, guidelines for Dexcom G5 when it came out, which is that the system isn't just using kind of cold values. It's not just using the carbs and the current CGM value. It's also doing a little bit of that adjustment that patients typically were trained to do in their heads where it's increasing or decreasing the bolus a little bit based on the CGM trend. And that's another automation feature where um people are able to now remove that layer of worry do i have to account for the trend arrows myself and be my own artificial pancreas in my head no the system is handling that to further attempt to improve time and range um one of the other features about the algorithm that's really important and sort of a change from previous designs is that we've enabled setting of different targets and so the targets with the algorithm can be set at 10 milligram per deciliter increments between 110, 120, 130, 140, and 150, and so generally I favored the 110 target. I think most people want aggressive control, and because the system does a really good job of minimizing hypoglycemia, we're able to, um, you know, be at 110 as a target and have really good control. But there's certain circumstances under which the other targets are better, um, for like toddlers overnight. Um, young children who typically were more likely to have low blood sugars than other people. Um, we generally run them at the 150 target overnight and then the 110 target during the day. Um, some of my colleagues who do work with senior citizens have run it at the 130 to 150 targets due to risk of lows. I had some adolescents who um, never remembered to Um, use the hypoprotect mode during PE and so we would just program the higher target during their PE and kind of keep them uh, safer there. So there's a lot of places where having dynamic targets can be really beneficial and I'm excited to see us have that. And then the last feature is that I'll mention is the hypoprotect mode. Um, This is a feature that we actually developed about midway through system development for specific circumstances under which we want to try and minimize risk of hypoglycemia exposure. And so it, it does a little bit more than the idea of just raising the target. It does raise the target to 150, but it also decreases the aggressiveness of the algorithm and makes it so that there's essentially very, very, very minimal risk of hypoglycemia provided that you turn on the HypoProtect feature beforehand. Um, I generally recommend it for exercise. That's obviously the time that most people are most afraid of hypoglycemia. I have some parents and toddlers where, rather than set the target differently, they just use the HypoProtect feature overnight, depending on what the kid's day was like. We've also used it for, um, for illness where we were worried about lows, especially gastrointestinal illnesses, where we thought maybe that people weren't absorbing carbs as well. And um, people have used it, you know, for other specific circumstances where they were worried about lows. And so the collection of those features again just brings us back to things that people used to have to just do in their heads. The system is now automating or automating after one button push. And so it just takes that. I have to, you know, be my own pancreas. I have to think like a pancreas to, we've now built that into the system and the system does it. So I think that's a really exciting development and something that's been working really well.
0: Thank you, Dr. Furlanza. We'll stop there and I hope our listeners can join us for the second part of our conversation about some important new pre-pivotal data. I also want to encourage our listeners to look for the AGMC clinical practice brief, which will feature Omnipod 5's pivotal data the podcast and practice brief will be on agmc.com. For all of us at the American Journal of Managed Care, I'm Mary Caffrey. I wanna thank Insulet for bringing us today's podcast and thanks to our listeners for joining us. For more updates in managed care, be sure to visit agmc.com and sign up for our e-newsletter. AJMC is also on social media. On Twitter, you can follow us at at AGMC underscore journal. On Facebook, like us at the American Journal of Managed Care and follow our AGMC page on LinkedIn.